Welcome to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose to create a better life for all residents of the St. Louis region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression that work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. Today, my guests are Reverend Susan Sneed, an MCU organizer, Jim Sajeda, a former president of MCU, and Sean Hadley, manager of public affairs for Metropolitan St. Louis Sewer District. And today we're gonna talk a little bit about some MCU history specifically the work in 2013 to bring about a community benefit agreement with the Metropolitan Sewer District for equitable hiring and outsourcing. So welcome and thank you for joining us today. Hey, good afternoon. Good to be here. Thank you. Yeah, happy to be here. So to start off, uh, tell us about what prompted this push for the agreement. What was the impetus? What was the project that sort of uh, kicked this off? Well, I think what initially started it was the fact that the EPA was mandating that um, MSD was going to have to engage in this really huge project of getting the storm water, the rainwater out of the sewer water to separate it because there were a lot of places in the system where it mingled together and it caused a lot of problems on people's personal property. Um, and it was gonna be a really huge project and we knew that. And we also wanted to be sure that there was some equity in hiring, whether it was hiring workforce or hiring small businesses. Uh, we had already been engaged with the Missouri Department of Transportation in an agreement around making sure that there were goals set around uh, gender and ethnicity and that we were making sure that training was being incentivized. Uh, and it ended up being called the Missouri model in transportation circles. And we felt like this is exactly what was needed with the MSD project. It was gonna cover $5 billion and be a 20 year long project. And we wanted to be sure that it, there was equity across the board, um, that the community was a full partner in this. Um, and a piece of that also was MSD did a diversity study so that they could better understand what those equity, equitable numbers were, were going to need to look like. Um, and it turned out that they were very low on, the, on that side in the beginning. And so it began this year's long process of increasing the diversity within that this larger project. And I'm sure Sean can kind of touch on that as we keep going on with our conversation here. But that was the impetus that this project had to be done and we wanted to be sure it was done in a way that honored the diversity in the community. Just, just kind of following up on that, and I couldn't agree more, everything that Susan says right on. But one of the things that, that was felt by um, the uh, members of the um, partnership, the Community Benefits Agreement Partnership, was that um, minority taxpayers are a big part of the taxpayers for MSD and um, should have a uh, basically a ratio of um, the people who are working on and for MSD um, be represented 
uh, in terms of their community. Sean, can you can you add to this any um, or, or yeah. at least or it, can you also speak to what is the current policy with it, with MSD as far as hiring and making sure there's diversity in the workforce? So currently, like um, what Reverend State says um, is, is uh, pretty much accurate. The uh, MSD Project Clear is a uh, it's actually a 28 year program. And, um, you know, we uh, went in with the disparity study that we did and found that we you know were lacking in, in minority participation. That's kind of one of the one of the where the when Reverend Snee was referring to the diversity study, the, the disparity studies were um, this this uh, pretty much developed from. And we saw that we needed to have more minority participation. And that's something that's been increased over time. And actually, we're in, we're in a really good position, probably better than most in the region as far as our participation goes with our goals and um, aspects of, um, you know, I think we believe, I believe we have like a 17, I believe it's 17% participation or um, higher percentage in, um, when, with our uh, participation within our, uh, our um, contracts. One of the other things that came out of the CBA as well is um, we've, we've got programs now, um, the BUD program, which uh, we know with the city of St. Louis partnered with them on that. Uh, we have a scholarship that we offer for um, to our customers in our region for um, what's called a um, wastewater uh, scholarship to go to SIUE. So we actually partner with SIUE in this whole program to get more minorities within the um, within the treatment plan operation side, actually internally here at MSD, because um, we see that there's a big lack of minorities in that field, and so we we felt that this was one way that we could actually help and benefit. So we pay we have a full scholarship that we give to uh, to um, a student to go to SIUE to their um, to the ERT or ERTC, which is uh, their wastewater and water quality um, program that they have. It also sounds like you're you're interested <laughs> in getting people in as a career choice and, and not just at the bottom. You're talking about introducing people to the entire industry and not just the blue collar jobs, correct? Yes. Yes. I mean, we've also seen internally that, you know, um, with the, with the, we're, we're pretty engineer heavy. Um, one of the things that we've been trying to do, um, even with, uh, with down with our HR department, we've been trying to recruit, go to uh, be more inclusive and, and um, recruit at a different level as far as, um, you know, the engineering side of things. Um, because the biggest thing with MSD is we want to look like our community. We want people that work here to represent the community that we serve. And so that's one thing that we've been looking at now too, is like, how can we get more minority participation in the engineering fields? Um, you know, the small contractors, um, there's just a lot of opportunities, you know, again, not just in the contract side, but also internally trying to get more staff, you know, that meets what the community looks like. Okay, great. Jim? When this all started, when the CBA um, initiative began, um, it was rather contentious because I think um, MSD uh, really felt it was doing a good job, but there wasn't a whole lot of data that um, was available from them that would really reflect what they said was going on. Over over time, um, I think things really improved in terms of uh, I think MSD seeing the pluses of a community benefits agreement partnership, but initially it was pretty contentious. I think um, the uh, unions uh, association of general contractors were suspicious and not really um, feeling really good about having MCU and the other organizations involved pushing for um, equity and for more um, minorities to be involved in 
construction. I think we had a great team. I think one of the things that really worked is we had the NAACP as a partner. We had the um, Coalition of Black Trade Unionists as a partner on the team. Um, MOCAN um, also was a partner. So we had a lot of strong uh, people that were involved in wanting to see this um, you know, be fruitful and beneficial. And so what began as somewhat contentious and, and onerous actually um, over a long period of time developed into a very positive thing. MSD did a fantastic job in terms of having um, data readily available and uh, just really making it clear that they're working towards getting um, membership from the minorities. So I, th I think it turned out really good. It did. I, and I think a lot of the, the contra individual contractors and the unions and, and MSD all felt like they were already kind of stepping up. But then as the numbers begin to roll in, they realized there was a lot more they could do to the point that uh, MSD, like you said, they did a lot. They mm -hmm. completely overhauled their diversity department going yep. from one person to I think there's like 12 people there now really stepped up to make sure that they were hitting the marks and that they were doing one of the things that they did that was really impressive was uh, what they call unbundling a project. Yep. Which is really important for small contractors. Um, normally a big project might go to one big contractor who would then break it down to other subcontractors and you, there was never going to be that guarantee that it might be a minority contractor or a woman-owned contractor. So what MSD did was break those bigger jobs down into a lot of smaller jobs that would allow smaller contractors to bid on those jobs in the beginning and not have to go through a, a larger contractor. So that is real. And then you get smaller businesses who can begin to establish their own track record. And that helps overall in the whole community. That's a ripple effect in the whole community. Um, you have smaller businesses able to build a track record that's going to carry them through other projects and other places. Yeah, so. I'll take it a step further, too, there um, with regards to, you know, the unbundling of the jobs or anything. We have uh, quite a bit of, uh, of uh, big tunnels, large, large tunnels that we're doing, and um, the, you know, you're looking at anywhere from 180 to 200 feet underground. And one of the things that we've done was um, the, the uh, contractor that actually has those contracts, we've asked them and went to them and had and then set up some sort of a training program to train minorities on deep tunneling so that they could get into that because it's a, it's a, it's a very unique field and very few people can do it. But one of the things right. that we thought of is we could get people trained in this. They can go all over the world and do this. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that we, we had the opportunity to, and we took that opportunity to get, you know, minority participation, minority trained, um, you know, deep tunneling. Um, I know there's been a few that um, uh, the contractor that um, had our mainland Creek tunnel, they, they've produced, uh, they produced three or four people out of that program. And I don't think a lot of people, it, you know, we're not just digging ditches here. This is, mm -hmm. this is highly specialized work at some of these areas. And we don't, we do not have enough people doing it. So MSD is providing, you know, well, it was a 20 year project. Now, Sean, you're saying it's really going to kind of extend out to 28 years. Yeah, it's 28 years because, um, so originally it was um, 20, 
I'm gonna get the number wrong. Probably 25 years, 25 year pop yeah. project. The EPA came to us um, a few years ago and gave us a five year extension because of the Clean Air Act. And that's something that's yeah. important here yeah. to know as well, because we've got some other big work that's about to happen, meaning that we've got those right now. We've got um, we've got three major tunnels in the works. All of these years that this project is going to be going on and all the you know, like, like he says, there's going to be some other projects spin off from this. This is all training time to give people the opportunity to learn very specialized uh, building craft that can literally take them around the world. Um, so we are we have the opportunity in our community to create whole new uh, careers for people, which is that was a part of that's a part of a community benefits agreement in many cases is to create those training opportunities for the people in the community. From the time that that we were involved with the community benefits agreement to where we're at now, the transparency was just um, how that evolved was was just amazing um, in, in a positive way. And basically being able to see the data um, and have it be really clear um, how that evolved also, I think, was amazing. And I think a lot of it was because of, um, you know, the, the pressure that the Community Benefits Agreement team put on uh, through the time that we were involved with MSD. Okay, so let's step back through that because this uh, this is kind of uh, an example of organizing here of, of what needs to happen. Now, obviously, the project came about. Um, there, there was a need in the community for jobs for employment. What are some of the first steps? And 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 as you mentioned, Jim, that you know that initial contact is contentious. So how do how does uh, uh, does the coalition? Or did the coalition move through that contention to get to the point where MSD and these other groups are working together? Um, because what you're saying right now is, is very harmonious and everybody's working together, but that's not uh-huh. where it started. So, so what are the steps in, in holding people responsible? Because there is a problem, mm-hmm. um, but then bringing people together then to work to find a solution to that problem. Um, I think what happened is um, there was clearly mistrust, I think, on both sides uh, from MSB and from the Community Benefits Agreement team. And But what we did is we just, you know, they stuck with us. We stuck with them. And basically um, through basically, you know, making clear how we felt and what we were thinking, what they thought, what, you know, and how they were feeling, basically, um, no one walked away from the table. We just stayed at the table until we could find some solutions to uh, the areas where there was uh, opposition or disagreement. We eventually, through um, you know, um, meeting, getting to know each other, um, trust was built, and um, it became a it became positive. I think it, part of that also was is as you know, we would sit at the table, and we had people at the table like us. And we had um, the Metropolitan Clergy Coalition was sitting there. We had the Coalition for Black Trade Unionists. We had some folks sitting there saying, well, we need to make sure this happens and this happens and this happens. And in, and everybody being able to put it in writing and not and not just saying, sure, we can do that. We said, well, sure, you can do it. Now let's put it in writing. And also, I think there was a learning curve for everybody in that um, 
there had not been a community benefits agreement around this kind of work in St. Louis before, but there had been in other places. I think Washington, D.C. had had one, and we were able to pull out some of the others that existed in other parts of the country as examples that we could all work with. And again, I think as people begin to really study it and we talked about it and debated some of the points, um, people begin to see like, this isn't going to be that bad. We can work with this. We can do this. This will mm-hmm. be fine. And, and also just as time went on, people begin to see this is, this is not a two-year project. This is a decades, couple of decades going on here. This is long-term and this is going to work. Uh, so like, for example, the, the union said they would not sign the agreement, but they attached a letter saying whatever was on the agreement, they would go ahead and work with. They wouldn't specifically be a signator, but they would agree with whatever was in there. They would work with whatever rules were laid out for them. And it was the kind of thing that most of their unions demanded of them anyway. Um, so it, it wasn't that, that much of a stretch for them in the end it, for anybody. And I think, you know, we talk about transparency as we got more comfortable with each other. It was much easier to be more open with each other and to discuss things. Whenever we felt like we didn't have enough information, we told MSD and they said, okay, we'll go get it. And they would break down numbers even more and make sure we had uh, the numbers that we really wanted to look at. And um, we got the information we needed. And now it's, it's pretty much, it comes on a quarterly basis, everything that we need. Okay, great. So, the, so a couple of the keys I'm hearing here are, are one, the numbers are necessary and accurate yeah. numbers are necessary. Data. Um, two is the relationship building then too. You had to get to the point where the the parties on both sides of the table started to have relationships with each other and build that trust. So they, you know, even if there are right. still disagreements, you're working yep. together on something. And yep. then it also sounds like the ongoing numbers, the ongoing accountability is is also key to this. Those Those three things, accurate numbers to begin with, uh, a trust relationship and then ongoing accountability. The the relationship building here was a big key. Data drives everything, and that's the thing. Yep. You can't, you can't um, dispute data. You can't dispute the numbers. We're at a point now where we're in a good we're in a good space. We're actually we're actually in the middle of our of our next disparity study right now, and that that should be completed by um, by end of the uh, by end of summer hopefully. Uh, COVID did kind of slow it down a little bit, but we're uh, right. we're in the middle of another one right now, and and. I'll say this, that a lot of organizations, uh, even in this region, have reached out to us and asked us, you know, how do we accomplish this, and, you know, and, and, and how, how do we get to where we are? And I can tell you, Shauna, um, Shauna Parodies, she's our, uh, she's our um, manager of diversity. You know, she started out in that department. It was just her and another person. It was two people. Yep. And they've grown to like, it's, it's what, a little over 12 now. I don't know the exact number, but. Yeah, it's about that. Yeah. Not only do we have inspectors, but we have compliance people in there that are keeping track of the projects and holding accountability. And it's not just for the construction contracts, it's for all of our contracts. Right, right. It's become a much more sophisticated 
um, segment of MSD than it was. I mean, Shonda, I don't know how she did it. She started out, I think she had an Excel sheet or a calculator in her hand or something. (laughs) And she just grew that department and created a very sophisticated department there doing whatever needs to be done to make sure the goals are being met. It was about the time that we had the uh, community benefits agreement um, formed that the uh, current executive director of MSD, Brian Hosher, became the director. He was determined he was going to uh, have MSD uh, do what it was really called on to do in terms of having minority participation. So he was committed to it. And uh, I I give him credit for that. It sounds like the, it, it, having that willingness um, in, in, within the organization uh, was key too. that at some point, um, if, if that organization, if MSD or whatever organization we're, we're pushing against decides that they don't want to do it, um, it's going to be an uphill battle all the way. So at some point mm-hmm. there, was, there, was, there was, I assume, discussion within MSD that said, you know, we want to be this. Yes. We want mm-hmm. to be representative mm-hmm. of our community. Um, and as we look at the numbers, we see that we're not meeting it. So we better, we better participate. Yes. And you were accurate on that. Um, so Brian Holsher, our executive director, you know, he speaks about this, um, you know, constantly. We want to look like the community we serve. The jobs, the work that we do is not easy stuff. I mean, it's, it's very specialized work and mm-hmm. uh, those contractors that can do that work. Yeah. It was very limited. I mean, you do have, in this country, you do have very limited contractors that can do deep tunneling, but you have some contractors that can do some of the other stuff. But we felt that why don't we try to get people trained and get and train them up to be able to compete and do those type of things? I mean, we look at we look at all kinds of opportunities out there with even with our green uh, our green infrastructure program. I mean, the the demos, the demolitions that we do with the city of St. Louis. We create a uh, an opportunity for a lot of small contractors to come in and uh, and, and make some money and um, you know and, and get some experience at you know demolishing homes. The um, way that the partnership between MSD and the community benefits agreement team worked out is would be a great model for how um, it should be done. You know, in many other instance, instances. To, to your point, there, you know, Shauna's been asked. Um, you know, Shauna's been working with. Uh, other partners, other utilities, like I know um, one yep. recently was Louisville. She was working with Louisville on their on their diversity um, program and going through that. We just had uh, Great Rivers Greenway reach out to us. Um, you know, they're really trying to grow their uh, grow their uh, their minority participation over there. We had a nice long call with them, and we walked them through how we got to where we are. And yep. just the, when you see people's faces and like it's it's this is not easy. It it, it didn't happen overnight. You gotta have all everybody there's gotta be committed to do to moving in that in that same direction. And uh, that brings me to another question I wanted to talk about historically um, in St. Louis. Um, talk about some other areas where where this type of diversity and employment has been needed and what kind of actions were taken, uh, just to put us in context because it's not just MSD, but it's it's other activities, other organizations, other departments, if you will, within St. Louis and within in Missouri that that need this attention also? Probably the first time we really got in deep with, with this kind of a community benefits agreement was uh, during that time when we uh, rebuilt part of Highway 40, 6440, and we actually shut down a part of it. 
and rebuilt it. And uh, because of the work of a lot of community organizations, including faith-based organizations, uh, the Department of Transportation federally allowed that any of their federal funds could be um, used in very specific ways by the local department. So we went to Jefferson City and pushed the Department of Transportation to include in that uh, budget um, hiring goals for minorities and women, workforce and small business, and incentivizing the use of apprentices to be sure that people are on track to have construction job, construction careers and not just jobs. Um, and it was, like I said earlier, it turned out to be called the Missouri model. And in the years that we've gone back, we had gone back to the Department of Transportation uh, to work on um, transportation funding in years, you know, years when we've worked on that. They have referenced St. Louis and the Missouri model that we, we allocated a half of 1% of that total project fund to be used strictly for training. And a part of that training was out and out training and incentivizing of the use of apprentices. So we wanted to replicate that as much as possible with MSD. Um, you know, the unions had, had a reason to make sure they were putting apprentices out there. People had um, the opportunity to learn a trade and that's what we wanted. And it was, there were also goals in there and I believe they're in our own CBA that that's that there's a percentage of the workforce that actually comes from the community that is impacted by the project. Um, that, that can be a very important point when you're doing a community benefits agreement everywhere to make sure that your hires are coming from around the community that's going to be impacted by the project. So that's been an important piece of the CBA as well. And anywhere you have a really large project. Now, I know SLU has been doing a lot. St. Louis University has been doing a lot of building, and they have community benefit agreement with one of the wards where they're located. Um, I know the older person there has made sure that there is a community benefits agreement so that the neighborhood has a little bit of control over what's happening in their own backyard, which is what a community benefits agreement is. It's making sure that the community has some kind of a say in a massive project that's going to impact them. At that time, the uh, unions were even uh, more resistant to um, yeah. doing anything to be cooperative. So we actually had a national facilitator come in to facilitate um, the meetings between um, the uh, unions and the faith-based organizations and, and other uh, organizations that were fighting for equity because it was it was extremely contentious. It's, it's, it's not been easy. And I guess this is also in the context of, this goes back even to the building of the arch back in the 60s. That, there you go. That uh, work yeah. wasn't going to, to black workers at that time. And there had to be an action to try to get that to happen. And if I remember my, my St. Louis history cor correctly, yeah. that yeah. You know, this has been a struggle for I guess this makes it now almost 60 years um, of, of trying to make sure there's equity in hiring and hiring and making sure jobs are, are, are going to to the citizens of, of the community. Sean, I want to turn to you for a moment. Uh, one of our concerns with MCU is environmental justice. Talk about how 
this project, this almost 30 year project is going to impact the quality of life in, in the St. Louis area. This is a big, big deal. And so what, what is the problem that we're addressing? And then, then how will this impact just everyday citizens and, and their quality of life? So MSD Project Clear is, um, you know, our initiative, it's, it's our initiative to um, alleviate any, um, any uh, water quality concerns within the uh, region. And so the biggest thing that we're doing here, I mean, is, you know, we're, we were putting it into a consent decree um, because of the uh, Clean Water Act. And so one of the biggest things is that we're, you know, MSD was formed in 1954. We were deeded all these sewer systems. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to take it and put all these sewers back together. And so, and, you know, take it out and improve on a, on, a, on a system that, as we kind of joke sometimes, is that we would never have designed it that way if, uh, <laughs> if uh, you know, we had to go and start over. Because we're, you know, St. Louis, uniquely as St. Louis is, um, St. Louis is, sits on a um, on two different, two different sewer systems. I mean, we have, uh, you know, in the city of St. Louis itself, we have a combined sewer system, which means wastewater and stormwater are going into the same system. Out in the county, we have a separate system where you have, you know, wastewater goes into one system, goes to our plants, it gets treated, and stormwater goes to the uh, inlets, it goes out to the creeks and streams untreated like it's supposed to. And that's one of the things where we, you know, get the whole get the water out, get the rain out of the system. It was one of the was one of the big pushes that we had to do originally was to get make sure that rainwater wasn't infiltrating the um, the wastewater sewers. And yeah. you know, we look at the city of St. Louis, and um, historically they only have you know, people have connections that were basically going from their homes into the ground into the sewer system, and it was that put too much water, put too much strain on that system. I mean, we have. We have sewers that are, I mean, you know, well over 100 years old, um, you know, here in St. Louis. I mean, you know, at one point there was still some wood sewers down in uh, like Laclede's Landing. I mean, we have a lot of brick sewers in the city. And it's just, you know, so one of those things we have to improve these sewers and, and go through and, and do that. The program was we got we got a uh, five year extension. It was a 23 year program. We got a five year extension on um, the EPA came in and asked us to um, this next this, this last rate cycle where we just uh, pass these bonds. They want us to improve the incinerators at our Bissell treatment plant and our Lee May treatment plant. And that has to do with the Clean Air Act. So going into the whole environmental justice thing here, not only are we just addressing water quality, we're also addressing now air quality when it comes to our incinerator projects that we have. And that's one thing that we, um, they asked us to speed up that work because that work was always on, it was always slated to be done, but now that the EPA came in and asked us if we could do this. We, we had this, we had to ask them for, if we're going to do this, we need at least, at least another five years tacked on to get the work done on the time, on, the, on our timetable that we're on. So that's what happened is we just moved some projects up that to um, address the clean air act. And um, those, those actual projects are actually underway um, as I speak, you know, they've already been um, designed and they're um, getting ready to get bid out and everything and, and, you know, create more jobs again for people in the area. And were, were any of these projects impacted by the uh, issues that the, were on the ballot this uh, past April? And, and what was the impact there, if any? So the, um, every four years we go out for, uh, you know, we have to go out for a rate cycle, a rate um, for bonds, bond, bonding authority. And um, what we do is we always, put, we always put the list of projects that are slated to go under the four-year cycles. We, just, we break them up in four years because it's, it's easier that way. And, um, and it's cost and, and it's cost effective as well as um, when we when we do it that way. So this this past rate cycle, we just passed the bonds um, this past April. 
we uh, on the rat race cycle, the, the incinerators are in that in that um, included in that project, and that's one of the things that we have um, the the two big the two the two major projects on this under this rate cycle are the incinerators at uh, Bissell and Lee May, and then also um, the lower Merrimack Tunnel down and um that that it's it sits on the Merrimack River but discharges into the Mississippi. It's where the Merrimack and the Mississippi meet. That that um we're building we're extending that tunnel from that uh plant all the another uh, another six miles I believe up to Fenton. So we have seven treatment plants. Our smallest treatment plant is in Fenton. We're actually going to be eliminating a Fenton treatment plant, and so we're actually going to be taking. Right now, we currently have three treatment plants that sit on the Merrimack, and two of them discharge into the Merrimack. Fenton and our Grand Glaze um, plant, which is in Valley Park, both discharge into Merrimack. We're going to eliminate one of those plants, and so we're going to only have one plant discharge into the Merrimack River because Lower Merrimack uh, plant discharges into the Mississippi. That's another plus for the environment is that we're taking one of these plants offline and being more effective and efficient with how we um, divert the flow and treat the water. Um, so that brings me to uh, my final question for you, Sean. Uh, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, uh, you're talking about the bonds and, and obviously all of this takes money, um, but sometimes it's a little tough to pay those, those bills. Uh, what kind of programs are in place uh, for residents who who have uh, uh, some financial trouble and, and need some help paying paying those bills. Yeah, thank you. Um, so we have a customer assistance program, and we call it CAP for short, CAP. And the biggest thing with that is that um, we try to we, we've been trying to get customers to understand. I guess sewer bills are something you don't think about necessarily. Um, we are not in a position to have what we call cutoff service, like you well, may see in some areas where people are like they don't pay their their um, sewer bill and their water gets cut off. We cannot do that in this in um, in this region for um, lack of just the, the resources and everything that we have. So um, we have a, a big delinquency number and people being delinquent with their bills. But what we've been trying to do is we've been trying to get people to understand, especially with COVID, we did we did put a pause on um, on late fees and you know kind of on, on some of those things during um, during a, a transition period um, when we were going through all. Um, um, all the downtime, but the biggest thing that we try to tell people is that if you qualify for LIHEAP uh, or energy assistance, any of those utility assistance, you actually you you pretty much automatically qualify for our cap, our customer assistance program. We just cannot get enough people to apply for it. I mean, we we have over a million customers, and I can tell you that there's a few thousand people that are maybe on the customer assistance program. And that's a low number. I mean, not to say you, know, you have to be on it, but that's just a low number. And I don't think a lot of people realize that it, it's there and it could cut your sewer bill pretty much in half. And, you know, it's just one of those things that we're, we're willing to work with people. And, we, and even if you don't qualify for the customer assistance program, you, there's if you reach out to us and talk to us, we can put you on some sort of payment plan. We'll work with you and, and, and do what we can. We are a publicly funded utility, which means that all the money that comes in and you pay your sewer bill, that goes towards our operation maintenance and um, you know how we how we how we run MSD. And Susan, as we wrap things up, um, you have a new position with uh, MCU. Tell us about that and <laughs> what it means and and how people can contact you and and support MCU. I do. You know, I've been active. I was active as a leader. Um, in faith-based organizing from 1991 all the way to 2011 when I became a paid organizer with MCU full-time. And now I've moved to part-time and I am actually working with our uh, sustainers and donors and uh, cultivating our sustainers. And those are the folks who are committed to investing in MCU 
on a regular monthly basis to make sure that we have a steady flow of funding to do our work. Um, it's and it's a it's a great program if you want to give to MCU. I recommend it. It's you can do it for as little as ten or twenty dollars a month. It happens automatically through your bank account or a credit card, and you can get in touch with me. Um, on my email, Susan at MCUSTL.com, and I can explain in a lot more detailed. But it makes sure that we have a steady stream of funding on a monthly basis so that we um, don't have to depend totally on grants and other donations. It like provides the floor we build on. And um, it's a great way to support uh, an organization like MCU and keep them growing and moving forward on the things that we care about. Okay, great. And that will pretty much do it for this week. I want to thank our guests, Reverend Susan Sneed, MCU organizer, Jim Sahada, a former president of MCU, and Tron Hadley, manager of public affairs for the Metropolitan St. Louis Sewer District. Thank you so much for being here this afternoon. To learn more about MCU, go to the Metropolitan Congregations United website at mcustlewis.org. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. I'm Kevin Prang, and you have been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time, and thank you for listening. <laughs>